Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. How much do I want to advertise for Starbucks? Up here? Over here? We'll go with here. So good evening, and welcome to tonight's 40 Days of Prayer and Fasting event. Also welcome uh, to those of you who are watching online. And my name is Ben, and we're just super happy that you're here joining us. And, you know, we're now about halfway through the season of Lent. Some Lent seasons are harder than others for me. This one's been a hard one. I don't know about you. Uh, Maybe it's COVID. I I feel like we've all been giving up a lot already. And maybe it's been hard for you. Maybe you've taken something in your life and, and you're currently abstaining from it. Maybe you're fasting sweets or a meal or multiple meals or coffee or social media or something in your life. And I hope that as you've gone without that, that when you found that that hurts or is uncomfortable, that at that moment, you've been reminded quickly that the reason you're doing that is to take that moment and and look to Jesus. So in that moment, to look at him, to look for him. And I pray that that look to him, uh, your interface with him has been a deeper, a richer, a clearer one because of the fasting that you're doing. Now, for others, maybe, maybe instead of removing something from your routine, you're adding something in. Maybe you've incorporated some sort of spiritual discipline or activity. Uh, Maybe you're reading your Bible more, or maybe you're praying more or in a different way. Maybe you've made a prayer project out of a person or a situation or any number of things. But, But whether you've taken things out of your routine or added things into your routine or both, you know, Lent really is a special time. It's a time where we're spiritually preparing through fasting and prayer for the 40 days before Easter just as Jesus spiritually prepared for his ministry through fasting and prayer for 40 days, for the start of his ministry. And it's a time where we remember Jesus's preparation to return to the Father. We remember uh, his death and resurrection. A, a time where, where the entire tide of human history was changing and about to change even further and forever through Jesus's atoning death for us on the cross. And tonight I'd like to talk about using this season of reflection to consider developing rhythms or patterns or habits of service. Service that we can operate in and from year-round, not just during Lent. And how we can serve others as Jesus commanded us with the motivation that Jesus modeled for us. So let me pray, and then we'll just briefly cover what I mean by that. So Lord, I just, I thank you that you have a word for your people, and I'm really humbled that I'm the person to deliver it. So Lord, I just pray that I would only speak what you want me to speak, I pray that you would work in me and through me, and if necessary, in spite of me. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so first, I think we'd all agree that as Christians, we're to serve one another. Many of us are probably very familiar with the Bible story of of Jesus teaching his disciples when James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they were kind of scheming about who would sit on Jesus' right or left hand. And and this account is in both uh, Matthew chapter 20 and Mark chapter 10. You may remember that, but let's just go ahead and read it real quick. Matthew 20, 24 through 28. When the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. But Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave, must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So 
We know as Christians that we're to serve one another, and we know we like being served. I know I do. I mean, just for example, on a practical level, we know that the best bosses at work we've ever had are those who appeared more concerned for us and for our needs than the needs of the company. I can think of a point in my career where there were some big deadlines, some big deliverables, and some big problems. And I remember meeting with my boss on those big items, and I remember very distinctly him saying, whoa, 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 before we get started, how are you doing? And that meant a lot to me. See, those, those leaders that appear to be the best are the ones that appear to put their people first. And servant leadership has been a, a management philosophy that's used by, by government leaders and corporate organizations and moms and dads and soccer coaches. It, it, you name it. It's a proven leadership methodology. It's got lots of worldly credit. The most prominent recently was a, a guy named Robert Greenleaf who coined the term servant leadership in the 1970s. But we Christians know that, that Jesus uh, enabled that model 1,940 years before Mr. Greenleaf. So we know that leaders as servants on a, on a practical level, works really well. And we also, we like serving people, or we like seeing people serve one another when there isn't a hierarchy in place. We love those feel-good stories of people helping each other out. We don't always, don't always like to do it ourselves, but we, we like the stories. They're, they're heartwarming. I'm a sucker for them. Now, whether or not you watch the national news and whether or not you agree with what they decide to report they often seem to find a very small anecdotal interest piece at the very end that highlights people serving one another. Kind of a heartwarming way to end the fear-mongering of the prior half hour. And I can be a real softy for that. I love seeing stories of people serving one another in action. Many of us do. So on both spiritual and practical levels, we know it's a good thing to serve one another. We know that Jesus modeled serving one another in his entire ministry. But one example in particular often stands out for us as Christians, and that's when Jesus washed the feet of his disciples before the, the Last Supper, the Passover, where the sacrament of communion was created. And this is accounted for only in John. It's one of the accounts that makes John not one of the synoptic gospels, synoptic meaning looking the same. So what I mean there is Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have similar accounts of the things that Jesus said and did. And John kind of stands on its own. John's got some unique accounts. And this story of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, that's one of them. This is a unique account. So let's read it together. John 13, 1. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, 
you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. All right, so if you grew up in a denomination or a flavor of Christianity that, that had regular foot washing services or, or maybe a foot washing service during Lent, this might not seem that foreign. If you grew up Catholic, you may have heard of Maundy Thursday or Holy Thursday, the day before Good Friday, that commemorates the sacraments of communion and foot washing. And if you grew up familiar with those things, you might not have been startled if we had like foot washing stations around the sanctuary tonight, which we don't. Uh, but we'll have kind of a virtual foot washing of sorts after this talk. Now, a big part of the Christian church has made a sacrament or a special religious tradition out of foot washing. And it started with this event accounted in, uh, for in John, and it's been going ever since. It's happening in the church even today. Here, we just have a couple pictures. Here's a picture of Pope Benedict, the last pope, uh, washing his clergy's feet a few years back. And then here's a picture of a foot-washing ceremony that took place in a Baptist church in Kentucky just a few months ago. So this church tradition of foot-washing has been around for 2,000 years. And in some spaces in the church, foot-washing is treated as very sacred, a sacred thing like communion. But what was Jesus washing his disciples' feet? What was that all about? And I think to answer that question, we have to first start with the premise that Jesus was always operating in the eternal, the forever, doing things with impacts of cosmic proportion to the entire universe, but he was also operating in the practical, in the here and now, in the minute. And he was doing those two things at the same time. And the disciples were never getting it. They were missing the big picture and often the small picture too. I don't know about you, but I, I, I can think of times where people have tried to explain something to me and I wasn't grasping it, but out of habit, I just said, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I understand. When you can tell by the look on my face and by my voice, I don't get it. I don't have a clue. And I bet the disciples were like that pretty much every time Jesus was explaining stuff. And I'm sure if I was a disciple back then, I'd, I'd follow suit. I'd be doing the same thing. So let's, let's just take these two events in the Last Supper that took place on Holy Thursday, communion and foot washing, and let's look at them on both the, that eternal level and practical level. So starting with, with communion, on an eternal level, communion had uh, immense implication. On an eternal level, it tied together the blood of the Passover lamb uh, over the doorposts of God's chosen people when they were slaves in Egypt to the spotless lamb of God and his blood spilled on the cross for all who would accept it, for all who would then become God's chosen people by accepting that gift and then are freed from the slavery of sin. See, communion ties together all of the repeated sacrifices made to atone for sin in the Old Testament to one single and final and perfect sacrifice that was made in the New Testament. On an eternal level, communion represents a constant reminder of the sacrifice that Jesus himself made for us. It was a sacred meal on a sacred night that directly represented this universe-changing duty that Jesus was just about to fulfill in dying as a sacrifice for our sins. And he told us to remember it. Now, on a practical level, though, I wonder if Jesus would also just have us think about his sacrifice every time we eat. See, I wonder if Jesus would say, yes, that communion supper, that last supper I had with my disciples, that was a sacred thing. But practically, 
I want you to think about my body broken for you when you crunch on a Dorito or take a bite of celery. I want you to think about my blood spilled for you every time you drink a Coke or a tall glass of tea or a cup of coffee. And I would contend that that concept, that Jesus was always operating on an eternal and a practical level at the same time, was true throughout the scriptures. And it was also true in this account in John, where Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. So first, let's take a look at the eternal level that Jesus was operating on with with foot washing. See, there, there has to have been some sort of lesson to learn here because of the way Jesus responded to Peter. Some of Jesus' responses seemed even a little bit harsh to me. So let's just read them together. John 13, 6 through 10. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. It seems a little harsh. I mean, they've been living life together for quite some time. It just kind of jumps out at me. Now, Peter, Simon Peter exclaimed, well, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Then Jesus kind of shoots him down again. Well, a person who's bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. So again, just like communion that night, there must have been some sacred purpose here. In fact, it's most likely that on an eternal level, What Jesus was demonstrating is that we need to regularly seek his forgiveness and receive his grace, even following our salvation, even after we're saved. Let's see if that's what the scriptures are saying. Let's let's look at a paraphrase of the scriptures we just read, except let's take the symbol of taking a full bath or being fully clean, except for our feet. Let's take that as a symbol for salvation. And then let's take the symbol of having our feet washed as regularly receiving his grace and forgiveness. When we insert those into a paraphrase, here's what we get. Here's the dialogue. Peter says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus says, you don't understand now, but someday you will. Peter says, never. Then Jesus says, well, unless I regularly give you my grace and forgiveness, you won't belong to me. Then Peter says, well, then let me be saved again. And then Jesus says, well, when you've been saved, you don't need to be saved again. You just need to regularly receive my grace and forgiveness. And you all are saved, except Judas, as Jesus knew Judas would betray him. So on an eternal level, Jesus is demonstrating that we need to regularly seek his forgiveness and regularly receive his grace. It makes a whole lot more sense to me now that Jesus said, unless I wash your feet, you don't belong to me. Now, it doesn't seem harsh at all. It just makes sense that we still need to regularly receive his grace and forgiveness. So that's on an eternal level. But what was happening on a practical level? Why foot washing? I mean, what was happening here? Well, a, f- a few things were happening. First, as you may know, it was very common in the ancient Middle East to wash one's feet when coming into the house and then washing up before dinner. If you were a Jewish host, you would either provide a basin for washing at the door for your guests, or if you were more well-to-do, you might even provide a servant or a slave to wash your guests' feet. Now, if you had a Gentile servant, they would have an outer cloak removed, and they'd be wearing only a tunic, maybe with a towel around their waist, which coincidentally is how Jesus had stripped down to wash his disciples' feet. But there's something curious here. See, according to historians, the task of foot washing wouldn't even go to Jewish servants. Gentile servants, yes. Jewish servants, no. Because there was an intimacy 
and a sign of reverence and grace and love in foot washing in Jewish culture. See, children would wash the feet of their parents. Wives would wash the feet of their husbands. Students would wash the feet of their teachers. So that's why this event was so weird to the disciples. See, Jesus, who might have, been, who might have received foot washing from his disciples on, at multiple times, was now doing it to his disciples. And even more, he was dressed like a Gentile servant. So what was Jesus doing on a practical level? Here's what I would say. Jesus was introducing intimacy and reverence and grace and love as replacements for duty and obligation as our motivation for serving others. So that's why Jesus was dressed as a Gentile servant, but was performing this act of grace and reverence and love as was done by Jews. And he was doing it for his disciples and not having them do it for him. He was once again changing the rules. He was showing that there is no true service that's done out of duty or obligation, that true service is done out of a place of love and grace. This must be the motivation for serving one another, whether Jew or Gentile. But, but why foot washing? Why not some other act of service? I mean, why didn't Jesus cook them a meal or give them a gift? I mean, if Christ is the groom and the church is his bride, the disciples sure seem like the groomsmen to me. So why didn't he just give them a groomsman gift? Why didn't he say, I made a wooden carving for each one of you? Or I got each of you a pocket knife with your name engraved? Or I made a donation to the temple in your honor? Why this simple and commonplace act of foot washing that was done daily and not something more significant? Even further, why did he wash all of the disciples' feet, even Judas, when Jesus knew that Judas had already sold him out? And Jesus even said as much. like He knew he was going to be sold out. He still washed Judas' feet. He washed them just, as the same, just the same way as he washed all the other disciples' feet. So what else was Jesus doing on a practical level? Well, I believe Jesus was modeling serving others without pretense or projection or even kingdom membership. So here's what I mean by that. Have you ever received a gift from someone that might not have been what you wanted, but it was what they wanted you to have? Has someone ever offered to help you with something that they chose to help you with, but they didn't ask you what you needed help with? That's called projection. <laughs> We've all done it. We all accidentally do it. The older I get, the more I've seen, it, seen that I have done it personally my whole life. From buying CDs of the bands that I like for my friends, or in how much I've enjoyed helping friends move, but how much I've hated acquaintances move, or how much I've enjoyed sharing my faith with, with those who are indifferent or those who are open-minded versus those who have been hurt in the past by the church. How much easier it is to, to serve others when you have a common bond with them or a shared belief set. How much easier it is to serve when it feels good. See, I think Jesus picked this everyday task of foot washing for many reasons, but one of them is likely because it wasn't glamorous and was definitely needed. In his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, author Donald S. Whitney writes this, serving can manifest itself as base, excuse me, babysitting for neighbors, taking meals to families in flux, running errands for the homebound, providing transportation for the one whose car breaks down, helping with lawn or home maintenance, feeding pets and watering plants for vacationers, and hardest of all, displaying a servant's heart in the home. Serving typically looks as unspectacular as the practical needs it seeks to meet. 
That's why serving must become a spiritual discipline. The flesh connives against its hiddenness and sameness. So in washing his disciples' feet, Jesus was operating on both eternal and practical levels. On an eternal level, washing the feet of his disciples was a metaphor for providing, regularly providing grace and forgiveness. On a practical level, Jesus turned the tables on who should be washing whose feet in order to show the the proper motivation, the reason to serve one another, to be motivated by grace and love and not by duty or obligation. Also on a practical level, he showed that we're to serve one another without pretense or projection, regardless of how we want others to receive how we serve them, regardless of what they believe, regardless of whether we agree with them. Jesus told his disciples to remember his body and blood with communion, but that same night he also said, And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. So Jesus was clear. We are to wash each other's feet, meaning we are to serve one another. And he showed us how to do that on both eternal and practical levels. So now I'd like to move into a time of reflection and response. We're going to spend the last few minutes of our time together just doing two things. First, as Jesus operated on both eternal and practical levels at the same time, I believe that for those of us who call Jesus Lord and have the spirit of the living God within us, we're also operating on both of those levels at the same time. Now on your way in, hopefully you grabbed a card and a pen, this little card and If you didn't, I'm going to encourage you to go uh, grab one here in just a second. And it's a card you're going to take home with you and pray over. But for the next few minutes, I'm going to ask us to reflect and write down the following things. On an eternal level, what are some areas in my life where I need to receive Jesus' foot washing? What are some areas in my life where I need to receive Jesus' grace and forgiveness? And then also on an eternal level, What are some areas or who are some people in my life where I need to wash others' feet regarding offering grace and forgiveness? And remember, this was a regular thing. So where are some areas or people in my life where I need to regularly, excuse me, regularly, over and over, offer them grace and forgiveness? Then on a practical level, what are some areas or who are some people in my life where God is leading me to replace motivations of duty or obligation with motivations of grace and love in serving them. And then also on a practical level, what are some areas or who are some people in my life where I need to meet their needs without pretense or projection, regardless of shared belief, agreement, or anything else? So I'm just going to pray really quickly, and then we'll just take a few minutes to fill these cards out. I'd like you to think of this activity as kind of a virtual foot washing of sorts to allow the Holy Spirit to highlight these people to you, highlight these situations to you, allow them to soften your heart and search your heart. Then after a few minutes, I'll come up, uh, come back up and we'll close by singing a a song together and, and by praying together. So let me just pray. Lord, I do pray that you would soften our hearts, that you would search our hearts. Lord, we're not washing each other's feet tonight, but In a way, that's a good thing because some of the people whose feet we need to wash, they're not here. Some of them aren't in the kingdom. Some of them we we may not be on good terms with. Some of them we may may not want to serve. 
Lord, would you bring those people to mind? Lord, I just pray that for each question, Holy Spirit, that you would prompt us, that you would give us names, you would give us situations. Lord, search our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.